This is Don't Sell the Farm. Listen, friend, God does not have to say to us again, I want you to go out and witness it. 1900 years ago, Jesus said to us, Go ye out into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. He does not have to say one more word. Those are our marching orders. We need no signs from heaven. We need no urging of the Spirit. We have a command that has never been rescinded. Every believer is commanded to go and witness for Jesus Christ. Those orders have never been rescinded. The urgency of the hour is into all the world, and we do not have for ever to preach this gospel, but time is running out. You know what yeah. you could do? Actually, I was thinking for that Selena thing is you could kind of turn it into somewhat of a, of a haunted house. Thing. <laughs> haunted haunted Selena. Have her, have her manager shoot her on the stage. <laughs> on the stage. There you go. That's the story. That Isn't that the story? That is the story. It's absolutely the story. Yeah, okay. So her, it wasn't her manager. It was her... Uh, her uh, fan club manager. Oh, so it wasn't her, her like her. her so it was a crazy manager. fan, basically. Well, she was a great fan, and she actually established the whole Selena fan club for her. And it, they really don't know how it all went about right. because it was just her and Selena. But uh, the story goes that she was she was stealing money, mm. and then ripping off the fans, which uh. for Selena that was like a big deal. Yeah. Because the fans made her who she was. Right. And so she went and confronted her alone. And then she ended up shooting her. That's crazy. Wow. I think she was 23 when she died. So, I know she was really young. She was, I remember yeah, she was in okay, her so she was, she was young. So the tribute is, is warranted in some way. Cause she was the tribute is warranted in the fact that... So, so obviously the icon, you know, the death of her and then how her life is still impacting people today. Right, and so yeah. that's that's the whole premise: is that an icon from time to time, there's a life that enters into our world that transcends ah, even so the, you take the that, simple. You things, take that right? theme, and you take oh, that nice. theme, and then you apply put, it to put, yeah, that's the gospel, Jesus right? Christ. Jesus right? Christ is the icon that yeah. died young, right? Right, and Lived, was an icon that changed our world. Has cha- ha- ah, his, really his cool. life cool. was so iconic that he split time. If you yeah, think about yeah. that, a, 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 AD, AD and BC and BC before yeah. Christ and Anno after Domini, death. which is yeah, after, after death, you know. yeah. So it's like that's who Jesus Christ was, and right. so so that's you know the aspect of life is short, uh, the aspect of we we seek fame, we seek all these things, but even that wasn't enough to save her and rescue right. her in the end. But ultimately, the icon is Jesus Christ. Right. That life that has entered into our world to change it and radically not only only revolutionize the world, but us personally. Yep. So you're so. playing on you're playing on a theme here. Yes, like that. there is a theme. <laughs> There's always a theme. He's like, no, is we're just doing a, it just well, because. There should always there be should a always theme. be a theme. So I, again, like you're talking about before, this is in place of a haunted house this yeah, year. And yeah. so f- the whole. Uh, element i guess that we're using for a dress-up theme is that we're having a selena look-alike contest oh very cool gotcha and okay. so we have different categories we have a youth category a teen category and a uh, an adult category and so we have prizes for all those too so nice we're doing it over three nights and then we go right into revival right after that perfect the, the sunday so who's coming in for revival for you? show kishimoto from chandler 
Oh, very cool. So he is, uh, he's, uh, he's Jewish. His mom was Israeli. I think he was actually okay. born in Israel. Wow. But his dad was Japanese. Yeah, Kishimoto. Kishimoto. So yeah. I, I call him a Jewish ninja. Jewish ninja. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I like it. But he was saved in Guam. And so he's okay. he was discipled under Pastor Glenn Cluck. Oh, cool. Okay. So he's a Glenn Cluck, you know, disciple. And that's the beautiful thing about our fellowship mm. is that uh, because we believe so much in the element of, of discipleship, right? Reaching the convert and then yeah. discipleship is that there's there's guys that can preach from other places and you know exactly who their pastor is. Yeah, right, exactly. Because it, it's like what the Bible says that they were unlearned men, the disciples, yet they knew that they had been with Jesus. Yeah. Right? Just because of that that element of uh, impartation, you know, yeah, that yeah. mantle of ministry is passed on to the disciple. And so I'm really looking forward to it because, you know, obviously Pastor Glenn Cluck has has gone on to be with Jesus, but mm -hmm. but he still lives the on legacy, in yeah. his men. Yeah, you right. know, uh, the pastor that preached at conference from Guam. Oh uh, yeah, just I mean, you could totally you could see it all like over. Yeah. yeah, it was just like that's that's a Glenn Cluck. Yeah, right? it's a Guamanian yeah. Glenn Cluck. <laughs> <Exactly. right there. laughs> Sounded so, like him and everything. Yeah, man. so it's, I'm looking forward to our revival that's coming up with the uh, evangelist show, Kishimoto. So I've had him come here to to cover a service and he did really well mm -hmm. cool so we we invited him we booked him so right on well, that's awesome yeah looking forward to it okay so um i mean both david and i knew you when you were in prescott yeah and growing up you know um knowing you your whole family uh, but why don't you tell us um exactly your testimony tell us how you came to be saved and uh and then we'll go from there yeah we want to we want to hear about amsom Amsom, said. the Angel Amsom. Morales conversion. It's salvation method. Oh, salvation. Conver no, it's yeah, conversion Amsom. experience. Oh, conversion is that what it was? Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, the, so the, the terminology has changed here a little bit since mm -hmm. I remember it, but uh, yeah, conversion so, experience, I like that. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what we all need is a conversion experience because yeah. I grew up in church. Um, my family moved to Prescott from Los Angeles when I was 18 months old. And so there was a lot of things happening in my family's life that, uh, they were looking for a change. My mom and dad, they were, you know, just young kids, basically, mm -hmm. trying to raise me and my older brother. And uh, Los Angeles was very hard. You know, there's a lot of things that you can get into, uh, especially as a young man trying to find a place in life, an identity. Yeah. My mm -hmm. dad, you know, started running with the wrong crowd and got into some trouble, got into some issues uh, and so they knew they needed to get out of L.A. because my mom knew if if anything happens to my dad, I can't raise these two boys alone. Right. So they started looking for something, some sort of change, some sort of uh, element where life could be different. And uh, they decided, let's get out of L.A. L.A.'s the problem, so let's get out of it. Mm -hmm. uh, the problem is, is no matter where you go, you take yourself with you. Right. right? <laughs> So the options that they had was either Chicago or Houston because my dad had family in both of those cities. Okay. But my mom knew if we go to another big city, it's going to be much of the same of yeah. what we're experiencing now. Right. So my mom, she was actually watching a, a television program. It was like this talk show. And this guy was, he had written a book about up and coming cities, cities that within the next, you know, 20, 30 years, were going to be these incredible cities to to low crime rates, raise a family, retire. Yeah. Economy was on its way up. It was on an incline. 
And uh, one of those cities that was mentioned was Prescott, Arizona. Wow. In this talk show. And my mom remembers uh, as a youngster, she had gone to Arizona for something. And she says, all I could remember were the beautiful sunsets. Mm -hmm. And she says, Pres something about Prescott, Arizona tugged on my heart. And she says, my dad came first. My, she, my dad went first. Uh, got a Greyhound bus ticket and went from L.A. to Prescott, Arizona. And they dropped him off right there uh, near the Bennett Glass by the Prescott uh, Yavapai College. You yeah. Know, oh, yeah. Yep. On Sheldon Street right there. Mm -hmm. Across the street from the cemetery, the old armories right there. Yeah, and then right. you have the cemetery. <laughs> and the, yeah. That's where the Greyhound dropped him off. Wow. And so my dad gets off, and it's just him, and he's looking around, and he doesn't know anything, right? And this is just like foreign to him. It's like this little dusty town compared to East Los Angeles, yeah. <laughs> California. And uh, he starts walking, and he says that he, he hears Mexican music coming out of this mechanic shop. So my dad, he's Mexican, so he figures, hey, this guy, he can help me out. you know. And so he asks the guy, and he says, hey, just hold on. I'm about to get off work soon. I'll drive you downtown. So my dad waits for this guy to get off, which was, my dad said it was about a couple hours that he waited for him. Oh, wow. <laughs> and little did he know, downtown was like two yeah. blocks <laughs> yeah. down the street. Yeah. Yeah. He, he could walk there in that time. <laughs> walk him back a couple of times. Because that's what he says. He gets in the guy's car with them and he, and he drives like, two streets and makes a left on marina and he was downtown <laughs> and it's like i could have just walked here you know but this guy that day man this guy knew somebody who had an apartment or a little house little one bedroom house for rent and within that first day my dad had found the place for us to come was it on campbell street no it was actually okay. on uh it was on uh uh Gurley street on Gurley. uh oh, wow. Gurley and and mount vernon right on the oh, corner wow, wow. I don't cool. know. So if, if you were to drive up Mount Vernon, up Senator Highway, yeah. at that intersection, there's like that two-story uh, building that's right on the corner. It used to be a Dunkin' Donuts yeah, I know what when you're we were about. growing up. I know exactly and what you're And right about. next door to that, there's a house with an alleyway that goes right next to it. Oh, wow. In the back of that house was this little one-bedroom place that the owner of the house in the wow. front would rent out. Her name was Helen D'Esposito. Nice. And... Uh, uh, that's where we we ended up living, man. My dad got a job at the Jack in the Box as their maintenance guy. I think like making three dollars an hour, man. Wow. And what uh, what uh, what year was this? This would have been eighty four. Eighty four. Okay. Yeah, okay. nineteen eighty four. Uh, my mom came. She loved it. They fell in love with Prescott, and um, you know, being a young family coming from the rat race of L.A into Prescott, Arizona, there really wasn't anything to do. So they would go downtown just walking and take us to walk around the square. And uh, and it was there that they first got confronted with the gospel because right. the church, you know, they would do the park outreaches. And, um, you know, they would talk to my parents and, you know, my parents, they weren't rude about it, but they would just tell them, oh, no, we're just, you know, we're just walking around. We're just having a good time with our family. Uh but it became kind of their source of entertainment at park outreaches <laughs> yeah. because it was it was something to do. Yeah. Yep. Um, even family would come and visit us from L.A. Mm -hmm. uh, because they were like wondering, why'd you leave L.A., you know, to get out? And, and then they would come and see where they moved to. And <laughs> like, well, what do you, you go, got to do around this? here? What? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, there's this church that has concerts and they show a movie. That's actually pretty good. The music, the, the bands actually play some pretty good music, he says. And the movies are okay. 
And then uh, my my parents would tell my family, uh, you know, they're going to tell you about Jesus, but, you know, just tell them that you're Catholic and they'll leave you alone. <laughs> and so, so that was kind of like the way it, it kind of went for like that first year. And then something that really uh, struck a chord in my mom's heart was the element of change. Yeah. You know, they began to witness to her and tell her that life could be different and, re- you know, that's the whole reason they moved to Prescott. Yeah. Was for something different. Yeah. It was for a change. And my mom, she was she was Catholic. You know, my dad was just Catholic in name only. You yeah. know, he would just But my mom, she really did. She she you know, she was raised in it. My, I remember my grandmother, my my mom's mom, she was super Catholic. You know, she was like one of the hardcore Yeah. you know, old Mexican Catholics, yep. you know. Yep. And so that's that's what my mom was raised in, but she had become very disillusioned with with the Catholic Church because there was no change. She said, I would do everything that they told me to. I would go to confession. I would do all the things that the Catholic Church wanted me to do, all the ritualistic mm-hmm. things, and nothing ever changed in my yeah. life. I was always the same person. And she says, I didn't want that anymore. Mm-hmm. But when they began to talk to me about change, something really really resonated within me yeah. that life could be different, that we, yeah. we didn't have to go in, in, in this constant revolving door of problems and issues and one thing right after another. Right. And uh, she ended up getting saved. My mom did. Um, I can remember a few people that would follow up on her. I think it, off the top of my head, just, you know, you're, you're, considering the memory of a, of a little kid at this point. Right. But I remember Ann Haywood, Carol Solano, uh, you know, just some of the, el- you know, the, the, the saints, yeah. you know, the faithful saints that have been around that were, that were really instrumental in, you know, helping my mom, Lisa Ramirez. Yeah. She was incredible in, in following up on her and helping her. Monica Manzanares, mm-hmm. um, Irma Turnbow, which she recently went on to be with the Lord, but right. I remember Irma Turnbow, Emma Gabaldon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, just some of these ladies, man, that I remember as a kid, them being there, you know, mm-hmm. in the early days of my mom's salvation. And so she would take us to church. And that's what I say. I, you know, my joke is that uh, that's when I became a drug baby. It was when I, 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 my parents began to. They, they drug they me to church. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one definitely needs a little bit of explanation. Yeah. <laughs> it is like they began to drag me to church, man. Everything, Sunday uh-huh. morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, concert scenes. They, they just, my mom especially, immersed herself in it. My dad was a little bit more of a hard case, you know. He was, yeah, that's your thing. You take the kids. But it was actually a miracle that got my dad saved. My older brother, he was diagnosed with polyarticular arthritis, which is a, a juvenile arthritis. Mm. And it started off as a fever. Um, and he, you know, and the achy bones. So my mom just thought it was a regular flu, yeah. you know, the body aches, fever. But when she took him to the hospital, they did some testing on him and told him that he had this, this disease, this wow. arthritis. Yeah. And that it, it wasn't just an arthritis that would cause his bones to be achy or to be, you know, for him to be in pain. It was actually going to cause his bones to twist. Oh, wow. And to just, you know, be uh, swell. His joints would swell. He would be in excruciating pain pretty much for the rest of his life. 
by the time he was 13, they said he would be in a wheelchair wow. and that he probably wouldn't live past 18. Oh my god! This was a diagnosis that they wow. gave my parents, you know, and my brother's young, That's you know, brutal. he's, he's, a, he's maybe at the time, maybe, maybe 10, 12, maybe oh, if that. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, they get invited to a, a revival with Harry Hills, which was one of the pastors back in the day. Though. And he was really, uh, he, was, he had a gifting of healing, you know, upon his life. Mm-hmm. And so my dad went to this service with the hope that there could be something for my older brother that God could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that revival, uh, Harry Hills called for people to get prayed for. And uh, the story goes that my my dad didn't even take my brother up to the front, that he stood with him in the back, and that he just repeated the prayer that Harry Hills told the congregation to pray yeah. for, for healing. Yeah. And that my, my dad says that he saw my brother's hands straighten out. Oh, wow. Because they were already starting to twist. And he says he saw that in front of his eyes, that his hands got straight. Now, my brother got healed from yeah. that disease. Yeah. And from that moment on, my dad said, this is real. Yeah. This, is a, this isn't a game. This isn't yeah. religion. There's this no isn't. Question. Yeah. It was, it was a dramatic and radical wow. yeah, when you, healing that took when place. You're, when you're in the Catholic dead religion and you see it, you know, the comparison between that and a, and a dramatic, real manifestation of the presence of God. Yeah. That's... That's how you know. Yeah, <laughs> you know and, what I mean? and and that's one of the things you know that 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 you know you you hear these stories and and it resonates with you and you know and a lot of times you know today you know a lot of people explain being in the presence of God as being this feeling or being this ethereal thing or it's just like yeah. this oh I just I I just feel so good but the power yes of who God is is not a feeling at all, it's an experience. Right. And that's what my dad and my mom had in the beginning of their salvation. My mom had a genuine conversion experience and my dad witnessed the power of God to to heal. Yeah. And that's what caused his life, right, to be converted as well and experience that conversion. And so uh, they started both going to church. They dove right in. you know, my dad, he had been running from the law. That's why he came to Prescott. Mm-hmm. And um, he, uh, you know, in salvation, you want to get things right. You yeah. know, you want your life to be right. Mm-hmm. So at the time, I believe Jack Harris was in Prescott, Arizona. And Pastor Mitchell was actually in Australia at the time. Mm-hmm. And so my dad talked to Jack Harris, I believe it was. And he asked him, what should I do about my my situation. He says, I want to be right with God, but I also, I don't want this to be hanging over my head. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jack Harris advised my dad to go to Mexico, <laughs> 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 uh, to go to Nogales because there is a church that was being started there. And he says, you're Mexican, right? And my dad says, mm-hmm. yeah. He's like, well, you could really build that church and be a pillar in the <laughs> yeah. Nogales, Sonora, Mexico church. Why don't you know, why don't you think about going there and just but something didn't sit right with my dad. <laughs> yeah. He was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait until Pastor Mitchell gets home. Uh-huh. And Pastor Mitchell came home, and uh, my dad asks him the same question. And Pastor Mitchell tells my dad, he says, you know what, Baltazar, old things have passed away. 
and everything has become new. Mm -hmm. He says, you need to stay in church. You need to stay where God saved you and raise your family here. Mind your P's and Q's and just live for God. Yeah. And he did. Well, did, that, wasn't it years later, like um, pretty recently, right, that he actually went back to California and cleared his record up? And yeah, everything? it's probably been a, it's been a few years now, but yeah. yeah, he was able to get all that cleared up and and must have been decades and, later. Yeah, though. oh yeah, it was it was quite a bit later, and you know he was like looking up the statute of limitations. Yeah, he's, he's like, like right, oh, now's, uh, the now's the time. Now's the time to do it. <laughs> Strike while the iron's hot. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, so they stayed and that, so, so you think about this, man, these choices that my parents were making, to them, they, they seemed so minuscule at the time. Yeah. But in the scope of eternity, man, it, it, it altered the destiny, first of all, of us kids. Yeah. You know, because if, if we would have grown up in Los Angeles, who knows what our lives would have been. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have a ton of family that's still out there, they're, you know, you know, some of them are saved. I have an aunt now. She's she lives in Prescott, and she's going to the Prescott Church. My aunt, my uncle, Vicky and Angel Martinez. But, but for the most part, most of my family's still lost, man. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, whenever they go through something, guess who they call? They call my mom and my dad. Hey, yeah. can you guys pray for us? Because they know, yeah. you know, the reality yeah. of it. Because my parents have lived this testimony and these choices that they made. Uh, early on in their salvation, you know, had a great impact beyond themselves. And so, you know, we're raised in church. Uh, you know, when they get saved, it's me and, and my older brother. And over the course of time, my parents took the be fruitful and multiply uh, <laughs> commandment in the Bible seriously and had four more kids. They had my younger brother, Jesse. He's, he's right after me, Pastor Jesse, yep. uh, Liana, Yesenia, and Hasmin. And so they were all born two years apart after that. And so I guess my parents were experiencing revival, you know. They got rid of their TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and my dad started the Spanish ministry, you know, a lot of it, because mm -hmm. he had a heart to reach people that spoke Spanish, you know, right. and started translating. And they would do, like, these special revival services all in Spanish. And yeah. I remember Richard Maldonado was a huge help in that. and. Uh, just different people along the along the road. But for me, you know, growing up in church, I, I never really got into it. it was, there was nothing. For, for me, there was an incredible pull of the world on my heart from a young age. And I can remember being very young, eight, maybe nine, ten years old, and settling it in my heart that Jesus Christ couldn't be the only way. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it, it was very strange wow. for because I look at my kids now. My kids have an absolute passion for the things of God, and I thank God for that. You know, I think yeah. I look at my kids, and I'm just like so, I'm so grateful that my kids didn't have, don't have that heart in them that yeah. I had in me. Well, this is a common theme that we've, uh, we, you know, we've talked to a number of pastors that are that are church kids, pastor uh, or evangelist J. W. Ballinger, you know, church kid. Pastor Tim Miller, church kid, you obviously church kid, and common theme among, you know, church kids raised in church, but very tempted by the world, very drawn to it, especially I've noticed a trend here is that the, the kids of converts, mm. right? They, for whatever reason, they see 
you know, the world and they go, Oh, that looks so good. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, it's like, no, (laughs) your parents are actually examples. Like they're Mm -hmm. like, stay away from that. Trust me. Absolutely. You know? Mm -hmm. And then I think as you get further away from it, it's a little bit less severe, but I think that the first, you know, the first generation of, of church kids where it's like your parents were converts. I think that, uh, that got saved out of the world. I think that they tend to just from what I've observed is be drawn more mm-hmm. to the world in that way. I don't know if that's something you've noticed. Uh, as I well. may be a uh, anomaly there then. <laughs> Cause I was the same. I think well, that's, that's the thing is whenever you're talking to pastor Tim, uh, Dave and I spoke about that as well as we're kind of the same way, both church kids and both of us went out and had to make our bad decisions before we came back to Christ or before we came to Christ in the first place. Right. So it's kind of the same thing with us. And so, well. yeah, what we're, what, what, uh, what I've noticed as a theme is like now, you know, as a church kid raised in church and, and decided to go sin for a period of time and then get saved. Um, I'm like, man, how do I avoid that with my own kids? And, uh, so it's just something that, uh, I, we've touched on several times with different pastors, different church kid pastors. Um, is that something that, you know, maybe you have observed in your own family, like how you've done things in your own family to kind of protect your kids from that view? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very honest with my kids mm-hmm. and they know who I am. They know my testimony. They know yeah. where I've come from. They've, they've seen the mistakes. And, and one of the things that I really, uh, that I really do with my kids is I get to know them. Yeah. You know, all my kids, I have three kids, you know, Jada, mm-hmm. Kingston, and Navarro, and, and all three of them are completely different. Yeah. You know, Jada, she's, she doesn't respond to uh, a raised voice or even uh, the pain of discipline, you yeah. know, sp- you know, spanking yeah. the kids. I remember her being little, and uh, there was an incident where she threw something at a baby, and I was, you know, we we're trying to get her to tell the baby sorry. Mm-hmm. And just that alone, she like resisted. She's like, in her little three-year-old brain. She thought this baby deserved <laughs> the pain that I inflicted upon it. And I, 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 I am not going to say sorry. And yeah. like it took a little bit. And then I, I stopped and I explained to her. I said, do you like it when people hurt you? And she says, no. I said, how does that make you feel? She says, bad. I said, well, you made that little baby feel bad by causing pain in its life that it didn't deserve. And she's like, oh. I said, so can you say sorry for that? That's why I'm telling you that you need to say sorry is because you didn't mean to cause that pain, but you did. Mm -hmm. But saying sorry is telling that baby you're never going to do that again. Yeah. And she says, oh, okay. All she needed was an explanation. And she said sorry. Yeah. And Meanwhile, it was demanding it isn't, Meanwhile, isn't getting I was, through. I was, I, I was yelling at her. I, was, yeah. <laughs> I spanked her, dude. It was just like, and then sitting her down and talking. But she's been like that ever since. Like, you raised your voice at her now. She's 15 now. And I can I can raise my voice at her, you know, because she's a teenager. <laughs> and teenagers are going to do dumb things. <laughs> and I can get on her case. And it's like she glosses over. I yeah. lose her completely. Yeah. And anything effective. I say beyond that, it's like it's it's in one ear, out the other. Right. But if I sit her down and I begin to talk to her yeah. and we explain and we talk and we work these things out, it's like she gets it. Yeah. Maybe try explaining while yelling. 
see how that happens. But <laughs> like I said, the minute my voice goes a decibel higher than my normal conversation, just, it's like the wall she, goes up. Gone. Yeah. She yeah. is like absolutely just. The lights are on, but nobody's yeah. home. Yeah. She, right. she checked out. She bounced out. Yeah. <laughs> and then Kingston is. I just have to look at the boy, and he knows immediately when yeah. what he needs to do to straighten things out. And Navarro, he's the he's the anomaly of our family. It's like I have. I'm still trying to figure this shit out. <laughs> no clue. He's like, he's so smart, dude. And he uses his brain. Like, he's the kid that told me, Dad, I have a lab inside my brain at like four years old. Oh, my old. gosh. He's like, I have this science lab up here in my brain. And he's like, and I have computer files that I keep in my brain. It's like, dude, who are you? He's the kid that wanted at, at four years old a mad scientist birthday party. He's wow, like, because I'm gonna, awesome. I'm gonna come up with this potion, Dad, that turns me into a mouse so that I can hide and scamper <laughs> around and and be sneaky and. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? You're not my kid. Oh, that, that's crazy. That's the. Uh, so, uh, Scotty Flitcroft is my father-in-law, and and Scotty, <laughs> before he got saved, he got hooked up with the Rainbow Children, which were like. Uh, a hippie community, right. you know, and they're still around actually. And, oh. you know, all these years later, but he got the, he got the hippie name roaming wolf from the rainbow children. Roaming so, wolf. so I call my grandkids, the grandchildren of roaming wolf <laughs> or my kids, not my, my, grandkids, yeah. my kids, his grandkids. That's what he should have named his band. Roaming wolf. Roaming wolf. <laughs> roaming wolf. <laughs> good band name. Uh, so yeah, so that's one of the things that I try to do with my kids is I, I just I try to get to know them. Yeah. And I try to explain to them uh, life, choices, and consequence or reward. Yeah. And get them to come to a place where they realize for themselves. My choices are going to make me, make my life, set me on a course. Sure. Because that's what it did for me. As I began to make choices with that in mind, if Jesus Christ wasn't the only way, well, then I was going to search for a way. Mm -hmm. And at an early age, I began to look for different paths in life that would bring fulfillment, that would bring joy, that would bring some sort of satisfaction, that would bring some sort of peace to fill that God-shaped hole that I had inside of me. Yeah. And so from a young age, like I said, I rebelled. I hated church. I hated my parents for taking me to church. I hated mm -hmm. uh, the, the events that we had to go to. I was ashamed of it, you know? Kids would ask me, oh, you go to the Potter's house? No, I only go because my parents make me, yeah. you know, or because I yeah. have to go. It's like, <clears throat> and so, uh, taking that into your teenage years is 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 not wise, uh, and so at a, I I started to dabble in a lot of things in my teenage years. I started to get involved in things. I started to give myself over to things that this world said would bring me happiness and bring fulfillment, mm -hmm. and um, I couldn't wait till I turned eighteen, just so that I could get out of the the restrictiveness and the the hindrances. I saw my parents as a hindrance yeah, yeah. to living my own life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know what? You needed this. You needed this Jesus thing. You needed salvation. I know better than you. Right. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, they were just trying to stop me from making the same mistakes they made yep. in life. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, they restricted me. You know, I, I can, I, pray, I pretty much spent the majority, 90% of my teenage years grounded 
(laughs) 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 because of all the stupid stuff that I did. Uh, And so, you know, I I figured if if they're going to restrict me physically, one area that they can't restrict me in is is in my mind. Mm -hmm. It's in my head. Yeah. And so I got into a lot of like the psychedelic type drugs. Yeah. Uh, ecstasy was real big when I was in high school. Um, acid, anytime we could get my, I could get my hands on acid, mushrooms, and plus, you know, I was, I was a complete stoner. Uh, I started selling drugs. I would save my money from, uh, uh, lunch money that my dad would give me for the week. You know, at high school, I would, I would just, I would go without eating just to save up some cash. I'd go buy some drugs and I would sell them. <clears throat> so I became real popular with everybody, even though I dressed like a cholo. I looked like a cholo. <laughs> in Prescott. You know, uh, in Prescott, exactly. Prescott Valley. Prescott Valley. <laughs> <clears throat> if it would have been Prescott, I think I would have got away with it a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't uh, know. We were just talking about that. Apparently, apparently, David thinks that Prescott's the high end in, in Prescott Valley's work. I don't think that. Know, I know that. Okay. Well, it was. Well, it is <laughs> yeah, now. It is but now. Back in the day, yeah. like you said, did you grow up on Campbell Street? That was Taco Town, man. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah, that's Creeksider sure. territory right there. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyways, here I am. I'm, I'm trying to portray this image of being hard, of being something that I really wasn't. But, you know, I hung out with everybody. I like to be popular. I, like, I enjoyed being around people. Mm-hmm. So I was friends with the stoners. I was friends with the cowboys. I was friends with the jocks. I was friends with the gothic kids. I, I was friends <laughs> yeah. with everybody. Yeah. But because I had something to offer. Yeah, right. You know, I had these drugs. I had these things that I had. You know, I'd go to these parties. I'd sneak out of my house on Saturday nights and go to these parties and come home, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning, get ready for church because <laughs> I still had to go to church. Yeah. yeah show up still feeling the effects of what i did the night before just Mm -hmm. absolutely no reverence to god or to the things of god so anyways those are my teenage years man yeah and Mm -hmm. i i I turned 18 and i uh i left home i uh, me and a friend of mine nate rush which is yeah he's in the prescott church now he's one of my best friends he is my best friend and uh, he had a brother that lived in, in Farmington, New Mexico, working on the oil rigs and said he could get us a job out there making $18 an hour. And so we left. We, wow. we, we, took, uh, we took some weed on the Greyhound bus with the purpose of selling it. We wrapped it all up and made sure the dogs couldn't sniff it and <laughs> smuggled weed. <laughs> Over to New Mexico. Tell us where you put it. (laughs) Uh, It was a pound, so that would be very difficult (laughs) to put anywhere. Right, uh, yeah. Inconspicuous. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we we ended up in New Mexico, but, you know, it was the same life. Because, like I said, you take yourself wherever you go. Yep. And all the money that we ever made... You know, we were making good money, but everything went up in smoke, or we drank it, or we snorted it, yeah. whatever it was to get high yeah. to escape the life of sin, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, and then knowing the truth, you know, even though I hated God, even though I hated church, there was still an element of what the Bible says: if you train up a child in yeah. the way they should yep. go, absolutely, it'll never depart from them. Yep. And so. 
I would have these experiences when I was stoned and I used to call them my Jesus moments. And it was whether I was drunk, high, in a relationship, whatever, man, there was always these moments every single time because church kids make horrible backsliders Yeah, <laughs> uh, because we're tormented yeah. by the uh, truth yes. and we run yeah. from it and it literally drives us insane. And so I would have these Jesus moments and it became almost laughable sometimes. You know, because it would be a scripture. And, and always, it was always the scripture, you fool, this night your soul will be required of you. <laughs> and it's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> yeah. The Jesus moment yeah. just hit. And we would, I would, because, you know, I talked to Nate about it, and, he, and I would tell him, oh, I just had another Jesus moment. He's like, oh, what was it? What was it? <laughs> and we'd laugh about it. And it was like, man, we, it was such a mockery, man. Yeah. But it was always there. Yeah. And that's the incredible thing about being a church kid and and uh if i could give any hope to a parent who has a backslidden kid is keep praying for them and keep contending and keep praying that god makes makes them miserable yeah. in their moments. sin yeah, yeah and that god gives them these jesus moments and that it yeah. absolutely torments them yeah keep praying that because yeah. it did it to me yeah my parents prayers and my I, mom's prayers especially yeah. did that to totally me understand completely. totally understand for See, me it was uh for all the of jesus moments for me were always the raptures right around the corner mm. <laughs> you know what i mean mine was like, never so much like a jesus moment so much as i would always remember pastor wayman always talking about like oh you know talking about sinners and stuff and talking about like all oh, you guys hanging out with all drinking all night and doing drugs all night and those aren't your friends mm. i'm like yeah okay until i would wake up in the morning and i'm like i have no friends until tonight when everybody wants to drink again right and that's that was my thing is, is i would always remember him saying that yeah and i'm like dang he's yeah. right i really have no friends yeah you know <laughs> i actually i actually because i was so afraid of the rapture i learned how to sail because i was like i'm gonna survive i'm gonna be a survivor <laughs> you learned how to sail i like... learned how to sail like boats. Like that's what you're gonna. I was do? gonna survive on the <laughs> you're water. Become man. a pirate. They're not gonna get me on the water. I'm gonna be a pirate. <laughs> Arr. Oh, dude, that's or awesome. I could just get saved. That probably. Be yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. I mean, you need to think about that. It's like the insanity of your yeah. sin. Yeah. yeah. Rather than surrender. You yeah. figure out ways of how you're going to be. <laughs> Go it. learn how to scuba yeah. dive and sail. That's that's a better idea. No, it's true though. Exactly what you better said. It's like instead time. of just instead of just surrendering, you, you just keep on thinking of different ways, and all that does is make your life worse and pull you further away. Mm-hmm. You know, until it gets so bad to where you're like, okay, well now I feel like my only option is Jesus. Yeah. Or calling yeah. my parents. You know what I mean? And I yeah. know what they're going to tell me anyways. Right. But I, th- I, I mean, I personally believe like, you know, it's like God lets you get to that place. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. It's like, Absolutely. he lets you get to that place where it's like, okay, the drugs aren't working. The drinking's not working and you know where to go. Yeah. You know where to go. Yeah. And then, and then you have to come to yourself and make that decision. And he, he lets you burn yourself out. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is what happened to me. So fast forward, spent some time in Farmington, spent some time in, in Colorado moved back to Prescott for a little bit. Then then I left to Phoenix and I was living on the west side in Glendale, 59th Avenue and 
Camelback in mm-hmm. his apartments. And, and how, how old were you when this at was At this happening? point, I'm 20 years old. Okay. At this point. Okay. So all so going from New Mexico to Colorado, Prescott, and then back to Phoenix, that happened within a span of about two years? About two years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And were you still with Nate Rush? At this no, time? no. No. At okay. this point, I had just, I'd gone off by myself. I had another friend that lived in Phoenix. Okay. Okay. And so, you know, but it's the same life. Yeah. You know, it's the party. It's, you know, where are we going to score the drugs? How am I going to get high today? Uh, you know, what, what, what can we do to escape the mundane life of sin? Mm-hmm. And um, I started running coke and collecting for this drug dealer in the, uh, in the apartment complex that I was living in. And the only reason I got in with this guy was because he had gotten into an accident. He had a he had a an Impala on hydraulics, and he was working on it. And he was turning a corner. And you know how when you drive, sometimes you you don't shut the door if you're just going to drive a short spot. You know, he was just parking the car. Oh right. So he left the door open with his foot out, but he forgot to lift the switches, so it was lowered, and he ran his own foot over oh, and grinded gosh. his toe off in between oh. the the <sighs> bottom of the car and a curb. Brutal. <laughs> And I saw him, and it's like, dude, this nasty, mangled foot, dude. And he, he like, he lost his big toe, so he couldn't yeah. walk. Yeah. So you know, his his enterprise needs to continue. Right. You know, his pharmaceutical <laughs> yeah. uh, dreams and aspirations <laughs> need to continue. And you know, that's who I was. You know, I was a giving person, so right. I offered my services to him. <laughs> yeah. You know, to for a price, him. maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for a price, exactly. right? For exactly. So yeah, I began to. I began to run drugs for him in the apartment complex and then also collecting. So I can mm. remember kicking down doors, running into houses, beating wow. people with baseball bats to collect or to prove some sort of point. Wow. And this became the life, man. And um, But through it all, you know, uh, the, the old saying is don't get high off your own supply. And yep. I was my own worst uh, customer, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so in the apartment complex, I gained the nickname Brain Freeze because I always had to be on something. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, I, I had to get on something to escape mm-hmm. who I had become. So uh, one night, man, I'm, I'm, I probably hadn't slept. And, and I hated methamphetamines, man. I hated them. I hated cocaine. I hated meth. I hated, you know, all that stuff, dude, because I hated watching the sun come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I knew I wasted another day. And then that scripture, my Jesus moment, God's mm-hmm. mercies are renewed each day. And I knew I was going to waste them again. Wow. And uh, so one night, dude, I hadn't slept in about four days. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm out of my mind. And uh, I had done everything at that point that I thought would bring fulfillment, that I thought would bring hope that I thought would bring some sort of purpose, meaning to my life. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting in the dark underneath a stairwell in my apartment complex, and I'm watching people walk by. And the thought comes to my mind, the next thing that I can do to get some sort of rush in life would be to take somebody else's. Wow. That's how far I had gone. Wow. Because as a Christian, I'm not going to kill myself. I know where I'm going to go if I right. kill myself. Yeah. But maybe if I took somebody else's life, that would be the next thing that I could do. 
Wow, what a demonic thought. To feel thought. some sort of rush. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Here I am coming from a great family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have all the answers. I know what I should be doing. But knowing the truth and running from it led me to that point in life. Wow. And I can honestly say that that thought shook me. Yeah. I so I went I went home and I looked at myself in the mirror and I didn't even recognize who I'd be who I had become. And then uh, a couple days later we're we're getting high man again. And I'm in this living room with a bunch of friends and I have the 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 ultimate Jesus moment that I could ever have. And it was like this out of body experience where I see myself sitting on the couch with all of my friends, well, f- so-called friends, right. quote unquote. Yeah. Like you said, Pastor Mitchell said, those people you're getting high with, those people, they're just there to use you. They're yeah. not your real friends. Yeah. And I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at the scenario and just this mess that my life had become. And then as I'm looking down, you know, my head, I, I automatically look up. And when I look up, I'm like in this like green pasture. And I mean, it's beautiful green, like this green that I had never seen before. And there's trees, and it's just like this incredible, it looks like a postcard, you know? <laughs> Sky's blue, the sun's out, it's a perfect mm-hmm. temperature. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm here now. I'm like, I'm tripping, man. Right. And uh, I look off in the distance, and I see my family standing there. And they're all standing kind of like in a position where it looks like they're taking a family photo. Except I'm not there. Wow. And I'm watching them, and I'll, and one by one they begin to walk away. And as as they get out of my line of sight, you know, I'm trying to get their attention. I'm like, hey, I'm right here. I'm I'm calling out their names. I'm mom, dad, all my all, one by one they all start to walk away. And the last one to walk away is my little sister, Hazmin. And me and her, we had always been close, you mm-hmm. know, growing up. It was. Uh, if any of the kids needed anything from me, from their older brother, they always sent Hazmin into the room because <laughs> they knew I wouldn't be mean to her. <laughs> and uh, she's the last one to start leaving. And at this point, I'm getting very desperate. Like, like I, I could feel this desperation. Mm-hmm. And I can almost feel this panic come over my life and over my heart. And this, it, it becomes this presence. And... Um, She's the last one to walk away. And before she gets out of my line of sight, she turns back around one last time and she has tears in her eyes. And she doesn't say anything, but then she walks away again. And then I realize and I look down, they weren't taking a family photo. They were at my funeral. Oh, wow. And I'm looking at that. And I see this casket. And then as soon as she's gone, everything turns black. The sky turned black. The the what once had life and a vibrancy became dull and just it, everything just dried up. Wow. And this incredible presence overwhelmed me. And it was the most incredible supernatural feeling of loneliness that I had ever felt before. And it scared me, man. And then all of a sudden I hear this voice that this is exactly what hell is. It's a complete separation of everything good that you have ever experienced in life. And it was this loneliness and this darkness that could be felt. Wow. And it was absolutely tormenting to me. Yeah. And then I was back. Boom. I was back in the room. 
nobody even noticed anything about what I had just experienced. And I got up that day and I left. And it's like you said, Aaron, you know, you know, you get to these points where you hit rock bottom and you call home. Yeah. You know what they're going to tell you. You know what they're going to say. But it was in that moment that I absolutely knew that if I didn't change, my life was either going to end up in that casket like I saw mm-hmm. or I was going to end up in prison for doing something crazy. Yeah. Because that's that's the point to where I had gotten in life. And I can only imagine my parents and the torment they were going through just waiting for the call from the morgue or a call from a, a police station. Yeah. yeah. And so I finally called. I called home. I called my mom. And uh, it had been a while since we had talked. And I just told her, I, I said, I, I, I think I'm ready. Mm-hmm. I said, um, I'm done running. I, I, I don't. And it was in that moment that I knew that of everything in this world that I, I gave myself to, the answer had been there all along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That redemption, that salvation, that yeah. gift that God had been offering me had been there this whole time. And um, my mom tells me, it's crazy that you're calling me right now because we just got done with conference and the pastor from Glendale sat right in front of me last night at conference. And he has three teenage sons, and I gave one of them your number. He's going to be calling you. Wow. And it was Nathan Brazell. Uh, pastor, yeah. or he was Steve Brazell, was the pastor of Glendale, mm-hmm. the Glendale Church at the time. And uh, Nathan called me, man. Wow. And he called me that Saturday, said, Would you want to come to church tomorrow morning? And I said, Yeah, absolutely. Here he is. You know, Nathan Brazell, we have nothing in common, you know. He's <laughs> yeah. Just, you know. Over the phone, it's like, it's this white boy on the phone inviting me to church. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I'll go, man. Because I knew I needed to <laughs> yeah, go. I, yeah. You know, I had to put aside my pride. And he came and picked me up in his mom's minivan, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh, man. I'm like, dude, I'm trying. Come on, man. You're like, hey, man, I got this Impala with some hydraulics <laughs> I, know, right? I can take. <laughs> I have a little bit of blood from a toe, but yeah. it's all right. <laughs> so I show up. I don't even know what pastor or the uh, the pastor preached that day, but all I knew was that I needed to go to an altar, and I knew yeah. our fellowship. You know, I've never gone to another church. Yeah, same. besides our fellowship. You know, mm-hmm. aside from the occasional funeral, you know, yeah. for a family member at a Catholic church, I have never stepped foot in a in another church. I never had a desire to. Yeah, yeah. that's why these kids that want to play church games and go to church and like still want to be sinners. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then they leave our church. To go to some other church and still live a life of sin? Yeah. I don't get that. I don't either. I don't. I, I that totally is don't understand so it. Far from I totally my don't understand understanding. it at all. It's like either either come and be saved or what are you doing? And then here? you run into them and they're like, "Oh, our, uh, this church that I'm going to, this church that I found, is just like our church." Well, why'd you leave <laughs> our church? <laughs> if you wanted it to be it's just the like same. our church, it's except like, they won't except they won't say anything about yeah, sin. Exactly. Except they won't exactly like ours, get away with it. They just don't tell me what to do. So except there's no conviction. Right. Exactly. You know? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny. Correct. Actually, there's no conviction. I can do whatever I want. It's actually funny. There's somebody that's really close to me that I know that um, that's exactly what happened. There's there's two churches of Prescott that are um, probably the two biggest, and he came. He had been going to the other one, came to our church, sat through a service, and said, "I don't want to go back." I said, "Well, why don't you want to go back?" He said, 
because your church makes me feel really bad about what I'm doing, and the other one doesn't. Mm. Oh, I'm wow. like that's what a condemnation. Are of the you other serious? There. Oh yeah, which shall remain nameless. Yeah, yeah of course, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We won't. We won't. We all know what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I was like, that is not a good reason, it's, it's, dude. It's horrible, and it's an incredible yeah. deception, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 That that these religious institutions would do that. Yep. Yeah. And rip these souls off, man. Yeah. It's and so on, horrible. And, for real. and even so, there's you know, um, Pastor Greg says it all the time, but it's like sinners are always looking for uh, an excuse for you to be their excuse, right? You're a church. You 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 attend church, but you want, you don't want to be their excuse to um, for them to continue sinning. I was just at a wedding. And Tanya and I, my wife, we just had this conversation last night after church. We were driving home. I was just at a wedding and they're talking, you know, they're giving the toasts and everything. And they're like, we're so happy that, um, you know, they're going to, uh, he's, she found a good Christian man, this and that we're there with my wife's family who, um, for the majority, um, they're Catholic. And it's funny her, her mom turns to her and says, Hey, I thought all these people are supposed to be Christians. Mm. So why are they all drinking? And, you mm. know, they're on the dance floor drinking and getting crazy. And carrying on. Exactly. Yeah. And Tony and I are just sitting there, you know, we're just like, I mean, you know, Tony didn't know what to say. You know, she didn't want to like start a huge thing at the wedding, sure. <laughs> but you know, it's, and, but Tanya brought it to my attention and I was like, it is interesting. And that's what Tanya says. She goes, I just don't understand. I just don't understand why, how people can say that they're a Christian, but then have zero conviction yeah. And be doing what they know is wrong. Yeah. You know, but um, I don't know exactly where I was going with that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's true. Like, you know, we were just talking about how I've never stepped foot in another, in another church. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and the whole reason That's I, I knew I needed to go to a fellowship church was because I knew there was going to be an altar call. Yeah. And yeah. I knew that I needed an altar. And sure enough, man. The yeah. altar call came. I responded. I went to an altar and I had an experience with the living God that I had never ex- had my whole life. Well, this is one thing because this podcast is all about, um, you know, don't sell the farm. It's it's what our fellowship is. Yeah, and that's one thing that, you know, no matter what wing extension, you know, different ideas about this and that and the other thing, that is one thing that is. A hundred percent consistent. I've never been to a fel- fellowship church from our fellowship that didn't have an altar call at the end yeah. of the service. Yeah. Which is like, you know, that that's one thing that you don't get that everywhere. Yeah. You don't get that mm-hmm. most places where they actually say, yeah. if you're not saved, you can get saved tonight. Right. You know what I mean? No matter what the sermon is, no matter yeah. what it's about. Yeah. Absolutely. Always gives you an opportunity. Yeah. Not only for the sinner, but also for the but Christian also who needs for the to believer, get, yeah, right? Yeah. Who needs because to because that's keep what the Bible says that 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 the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Yeah. And the the context of that scripture is that God was going to give us a helper, mm-hmm. right? And in our salvation, we need all the help that we can yes. get. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we can easily, you know, veer off into mm-hmm. some crazy tangent of our own understanding or our own, you know, whatever it may be, whatever we think to be true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We need help to be righteous. Yeah. Right? And, and the will of God, so many people like to mystify it. As this, as being this, you know, mythical quest that I have to embark on, 
You know, the the, the biggest question that I, that I get from disciples or from people who want to be saved is, what is the will of God for my life? Mm. Well, I believe that scripture tells us very clearly and very plainly, very practically, what the will of God of, is for our lives. Mm-hmm. And it says the conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to come to convict us of sin. Yeah. First of all, the will of God is that you get saved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what God wants for everybody. Mm-hmm. Right? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the conviction of the Holy Ghost first has to bring all of us to a place of salvation where we repent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We turn away from our sins. We give Jesus Christ our lives. And the Bible says that that's what the Holy Spirit does. It convicts of sin. Yeah. The second thing that God wills for your life is that you stay saved. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What a concept, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> salvation isn't just for that moment that right. you ask him to come into your life. Well, if it was, he, then if it was, then it'd be like you get saved and then suddenly uh, uh, yeah. you die right there and then you go to heaven. Yeah. Right. It might make things easier make for things life. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. More convenient I, 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 for I us. prayed that for some people. <laughs> Lord, take them now. Quick, take them quick. Get them. <laughs> but... But that's what it says. The, yeah. the Holy Spirit is a helper in the realm of righteousness. Mm-hmm. That not only that you get saved, but that you stay saved and you begin this new life in righteousness, in God's righteousness, in his holiness, in his godliness. And then of judgment, right? Ultimately, we are all going to stand before the great judge. Mm-hmm. But when I stand before him, I want the conviction of the Holy Ghost to have gotten a hold of my life on earth Yeah, to where I can make a decision at an altar to judge those things that are going to possibly separate me from heaven right? Mm-hmm. and put me in the way of God's judgment. Yeah. Right? But the Bible says that his conviction, it convicts us of judgment because the Bible says, judge yourself lest you be judged. Right. Right? So the will of God is that you get saved, that you stay saved. And that you make heaven your home. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the great will of God for our lives. So, yeah. Whenever we leave here, we're probably going to hit Phoenix during yeah, rush hour. Yeah, you got traffic. Yeah. And you got to well, through Phoenix. Whatever yeah. we do, we got to kind of conclude it. Cause, yeah, um, so here we are. We've been, been going so through I just your testimony. About so let's get you altar. Let's right? get you so to this the altar. The saved. altar saved. And then normally we get to like all through discipleship, pastor. But this is fine. But this, this is, is fine. Like, we just this is oh, all okay. good. This, this is, is great. Right. Honestly, this is the more dive. honestly the more conversational and more like this. Seriously, but we're yep. just we're running up against the yeah. clock. Yeah, and no, I understand I you got to go. We got to go. And right. honestly, if this was any other day, we would be like, if you've got time, let's go sure. three hours. No, you guys you know, got. But no, you guys got the. It is what it is. So so and traffic. Let's let's get you. Let's get you to. And if anything happens on the ten. Forget about it. Let's oh, get you geez. to. I hope not. Yeah. yeah. Well, you should be fine. Let's I just hope. I just hope that I don't walk in to church tonight just a little bit late, and then Jerry Fussell's just like, "You, yeah. <laughs> exactly who I was looking for. Come yeah. here. Come here. Like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sorry. Late. I'm late, and I'm not Everybody dressed. else can stay in your seats. You're like, I'm late, you. and I'm not wearing a suit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Of all the nights. Like, exactly on. right. No, actually, uh, I went to a, a Jerry. I think it was Jerry. Fuss- yeah, it was. Jerry Fussell revival. I was. I had just gotten done with drug court. I was so done with it. Oh. I was like sick of it because, uh, you know, I was just like, man, this is stupid. I'm sick of this. I was. I was at a graduation for drug court. It was Wednesday night during a revival. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't even want to go to this stupid graduation. I hate this thing. Yeah. I'm still being forced to do things. 
that I don't want to do, even though I'm technically completing this program. Yeah. They're forcing me to go to a graduation. It was just like, I was just pissed off. I'm like, and I'm going to miss church. And, uh, and so I'm leaving the graduation and, uh, just ticked off. And God's like, go to church. I have a word for you. I was like, wow. I'm, I'm like, this <laughs> God, oh, I'm God. late. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be walking in at the end. It's I like, literally walked in. I walked in at altar call and, wow. and walked up, sat by my parents and he walked right over to me and gave me a word. That's incredible. I was like, that's good too. Cause that's the most awkward thing. Two, two are the most awkward things I think you can do in life. One showing up extremely late to a church service or two, the first service back from backsliding. Those are the two most awkward things. <laughs> I do not want to go back. <laughs> Don't we won't put, we won't put this awkward. in the podcast, but no, seriously, it's fine it is if you true. put it in because but it's I, ex- true. Well, I experienced that. So dude. yeah, same I mean, yeah. my, I mean the first service after being in prison, Oh, dude. I wanted to get Brutal. into that because I didn't. I wanted <laughs> to ask you about it, so but I wasn't sure. We got, yeah, that's we part got, two. We got. Do we? And have, we can leave it on like thirty minutes. Can you? Can yeah. you get that in in thirty yeah. minutes? No, dude. Uh, we can well, make that a part. Know. We can turn that apart too, and we can leave a cliffhanger. We gotta come man. back. We gotta we'll come leave back, a cliffhanger. That's leave a cliffhanger. So, so I got saved. Okay. So, so here it is: the salvation. Yeah. Right. I I got saved in Glendale. Uh huh. Right. And um. And so I go back to my apartment after giving my life to Jesus. And so nobody else knows what I'm going through right now as far as my conversion experience. And people knew that I knew about God because whenever we were getting stoned or whatever, whenever we were like, you know, in, 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 the, in the mess of everything, often, more often than not, the conversation came up about God. Yeah. Right. And about, you know, we were just trying to be mm-hmm. these deep thinkers and yeah. philosophical and, yeah. you know, these incredible sort of theologists about what eloquent. we think, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Stone so, thoughts. Right. Yeah. And I knew yeah, the yeah, Bible. Yeah. Isn't, that, and, and isn't that the I worst would, part? Is I would lay it all out yeah. about God yeah. and creation yeah. and his plan for mankind and his plan for like, relationship. Whoa. Yeah. And I would have these people, like, to the point of. Repentance, like repentance. Yeah. I could, I could pull an altar call with all <laughs> of my stoner friends, and like, this guy's they would have all gotten saved. Yeah, but it was yeah. like, dude, I was, I was such a wreck, you yeah. know, that I couldn't, I couldn't justify, you know, doing that. And one time, mm-hmm. I had this guy tell me, one of my good friends, he says, you know, you really know a lot, of, a lot about God. I said, yeah. I said that's what I was raised in, and he says, but, but you don't live like you know God. Yeah. He's a complete wow. sinner. Yeah. I said, you're right. And he's like, you're one of those lost causes, aren't you? Oh, man. Mm. I said, I think, I guess I am. Wow. I feel like it's almost a little ironic sometimes. I mean, because I I feel like I kind of had the same type of um, dealings with people like that with the same thing you did. I think sometimes, especially growing up in church, it's almost, you feel, you say you didn't feel justified with maybe bringing them to a decision or anything. But I feel like sometimes subconsciously you feel justified in doing what you're doing by saying I'm doing a good thing right. by telling them you know where they're yeah. headed and things like that you know and then it's like well I know I'm not living it but hey I'm telling people about sure. it right so I'm kind of doing something yeah. good yeah I remember people coming to my house knocking door to door and they'd want to witness to me and I'd be telling them what they should be saying yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> so anyways I get saved man and uh you know, God's just really just dealing with me uh, about making this a reality. 
you know, mm-hmm. in my life and not even, and, and, you know, this is the strategy of hell, man. You hear about these stories, but I, I actually experienced this. And uh, I, I get home and probably within a, a half an hour, this knock on my door. And uh, I open the door and it's, it's one of my friends from the, from the neighborhood. And he lifts up this bag of, of weed, brand new bag, wow. just a quarter pound. And he's like, look what I got. And it's like, I don't have any money, man. I don't have anything right now to, mm-hmm. to do that. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to make up an excuse yeah, yeah, because yeah. I know what I should not do. Yeah. Right? And yeah. he's like, oh, no, you don't need money. I came over to smoke you out. Oh, oh wow. And I was yeah. like, well, I wish I could sit here and in the podcast say I, I withstood. <laughs> I, I told him, get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, but I said, yeah, come on in. Uh, wow. Yep. And it was just, it was one of those things that after I did, I was like, dude, that was so stupid, man. Why mm-hmm. did I do that? And, yeah. and it was in that moment that God spoke to me again. I could remember. And he says, if you stay here, you're not going to make it for me. Yeah. yeah. And, and I knew that I needed to go back home to Prescott mm-hmm. and, and to start serving God in the church that I was raised in. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny. I think there's a, it's, it's funny after you decide to give your life to Christ, there's almost a distinction. When you're drinking and you know the truth, you feel bad and you know what's right. But then whenever you make a decision for Christ and then those temptations come up and then you, and then you still give into it, it's a, different, it's a different feeling of regret. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, absolutely. It, it's it's different. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's sort of the difference between your conscience and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Absolutely. Conviction of your own conscience, you can you, you can, can put it that. away. You, you yeah, can put you it can away. Silence that one. Mm-hmm. But, but the Holy Ghost, man. Now you're just like, oh, it's it burns a lot yeah. deeper. You know. Yeah. So I moved to Prescott. Uh, my parents they graciously opened their home up to me again. Mm-hmm. After I had burned so many bridges with them. And that was the incredible thing about my parents is they've always been a, an earthly representation of the love of Jesus Christ. Right. That no matter how much I hurt them through my rebellion, they always loved me and showed me the love of Jesus Christ. And they graciously opened their home to me. They graciously made a spot for me to come in to get off of all the drugs. I mean, I, I think that first month of my salvation, I probably slept a good 80% of it, you know, <laughs> just, just because recovering. I was just like, yeah, yeah, my mind was such a wreck, yeah. man. And uh, yeah, I got involved in things. Pastor Lamb was the pastor at the time. I, I really enjoyed his preaching and, you know, I, I and but I never really formed a relationship with pastors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... You know, I wanted to be involved. I always loved music. And so my brother and me and, and Ricky Martinez and Jeremy Foley yeah. and uh, Scott Monteith, we started a band together and uh, we were called Nailed. Nailed. I think Nailed. that was the name of our band. And so Nailed. we were like a like a like a rock rap group, you know. Yeah. I had I bought some turntables and I was yeah, you nice. know scratching uh, vaguely remember those days. Yes, yeah. and so we, we started wolf. off, man. Yeah, you know, it wasn't Roaming Wolf. No. <laughs> Not Roaming Wolf. I didn't know Roaming Wolf next, at that right. point. Yeah. That's uh, your next band. That's your next band. Yeah. <laughs> I figured, I really remember that, but that was down in the, uh, that was in the underground. Yeah, the old yeah. underground building. Yeah. 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 And so we started there, man. And then uh, a year goes on. I'm just, I'm living for God. I'm doing all the things that I should have been doing a long time ago. Right. And I'm and I'm learning this whole salvation thing, this whole process. 
you know, and I, you know, I had battles, you know, I still, I fell a few times, you know, weed was my biggest, one of my biggest downfalls, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, for that entire year of my life, you know, I would, I would do well. And then there was be this thing that just came in my life and I would fall and just trying to figure all this out. And uh, here's your cliffhanger. The most, (laughs) the most beautiful blonde bombshell walked into the church <laughs> that I had ever seen in my life. Yeah. And uh she would about a year and a half later become my wife, Hallie. And so um we can end there because yeah. that's a whole nother story. That's right a whole nother there. story. Can't <laughs> very wait. good. Can't wait. Part very two. Good. Part the two. Part two, man. We'll do it. I can't it. wait. That'll be good. Very good. So cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate and, uh, the invitation, man. Of course, of course. And we'll uh we'll see you here very, very shortly. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. All right.